the FT. India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi has grabbed the headlines recently with high-profile meetings with leaders of the US, Japan, and China, and announcing a successful satellite mission to Mars. Only the fourth country to succeed in such a venture. Many see him as the best hope India has had for years to transform the country into an industrial power. On the line with me is Victor Mallet, South Asia Bureau Chief, to discuss Mr. Modi's ambitions and the things that stand in his way. Hi, Victor. First, could you tell us what Mr. Modi was seeking to achieve during his talks with the leaders of the U.S., Japan, and China? Well, his message is basically that India is open for business. Modi is really focusing on the economy, the need to restore economic growth. And he's trying to make India into an industrial power to increase the share of manufacturing in the economy, because that's one way of creating millions of jobs that the country desperately needs, because it has a very large and growing young population. So he wants that from public sector companies in places like China and from government commitments from Japan, especially in things like infrastructure. But he also wants private sector investment from U.S. Big companies, for example, and and it's in a whole range of sectors. We're talking about defence industries. We're talking about IT. We're talking about electronics manufacturing, motor cars, tourism, pharmaceuticals, and so on. And the main thrust of it is to pursue his aim of essentially emulating China and making India into one of the world's factories to integrate India into the world's supply chains, which is a position that it's not really in at the moment for most products. And this is through foreign investment. So, it, did he get what he wanted? Well, it's both foreign and domestic investment. Foreign investment often has sort of skills and technologies that are not immediately available in India. Although, although there are some very uh, advanced Indian companies, especially in in sectors like IT services. But it's a sort of、um, a demonstration effect, I think. If you get a big American company to invest, it tells the world that that you know you're a good place to do business. So that's the motivation there. I mean, I think he hasn't got what he wanted yet. Both China and Japan have promised billions of dollars of investment, again, especially in infrastructure, but also in the case of China, for example, in railways and the power sector. And they're going to set up a couple of industrial parks in the west of India for motor assemblies and for. Equipment related to to electricity generation from the U.S. The jury's still out a little bit. Modi's only just coming back from the United States now, where he saw President Obama. But he also made a point of seeing a dozen or more chief executives of big American companies, again in a range of sectors. How well placed is the Indian economy to make effective use of this investment, assuming he gets it? That's a very good question, and the answer is not very well placed. Although he's trying to make it better. The reason is that although India has a very large market, 1.3 billion people, and a very large potential workforce,、uh, it also has a lot of obstacles. It's a very hard place to do business, and Modi wants to make that easier. So he's trying to free up all the licensing procedures and bureaucracies that make life difficult for companies. But there are many other things that make life difficult: poor infrastructure in transport, especially compared to some East Asian economies, and some very onerous labour regulations, which make it very hard to fire people. Which means a lot of companies are very reluctant to hire people in the first place. So there are a lot of obstacles to overcome, and he thinks, or he, he says, that he's making a start on doing this. Obviously, the satellite mission was a big morale boost in India, but it's in stark contrast to the poor record on education and literacy in the country. Is Mr. Modi doing anything to address this? 
Yeah, the Mars shot was interesting. The main thing about it was, well, it succeeded, which is, which is a pretty dramatic technological achievement. And also it's very low cost. As Modi himself pointed out, it cost less. It cost about 72 to $74 million. It cost less than making the film Gravity to put this satellite in orbit around Mars. And that shows that India can do things cost-effectively that involve a lot of um, high technology, but it does have a problem with literacy of the big part of the workforce, and it needs to invest a lot in primary education, secondary education, and vocational skills development if it really wants to succeed in Modi's aim of making this an industrial power. So has he done anything so far to get this in train? On the education front, it's a very long-term process, and he's essentially he's talked about it but hasn't really had much time. He's only been in power for just over three months, so he hasn't had much time to do anything about it. The first things that he's done have been about getting the government to work more efficiently in every area, with a particular focus on making life easier for businesses, whether Indian or foreign, to get on with the business of investing and making the country more prosperous. The other aspects are going to take longer, big infrastructure projects, plans for 100 smart cities, improving sanitation, improving education. All these are very worthy aims, and he said he's going to do that. But in some cases, they'll take a decade or more, really, to come to fruition. So what are the biggest obstacles that stand in his way? Well, I would say there were two or three. I mean, one of the biggest is the infrastructure problem. So even if you succeeded in making India a big manufacturing power, in order to do that, you have to precede it. You have to already have built a lot of transport infrastructure, electrical infrastructure, and so on. I mean, even as, as the Indian economy is at the moment in a relatively undeveloped state, when you look at it overall, roads are clogged, railways are clogged, there are thousands of containers backed up, both coming into the country for import and going out of the country for export, simply because the railway network is at capacity. So that's the first thing, is really to invest a lot of money in quite rapid uh, improvement of the infrastructure of, of the whole country. Then the other thing I think that's going to be really hard is to make companies and big investors confident that the government or the regulators or the courts won't simply go back on deals that have already been agreed. We've had a couple of examples of retroactive legislation or retroactive rulings by the courts that have really stunned businesses and, and made them rather nervous about doing business in India. Um, some of them involve tax, so companies like Vodafone have been hit with billions of dollars of tax demands, essentially because of a retrospective law that was introduced under the previous government and hasn't been abolished by the present government. And, of course, you know, companies are saying, well, we can't, if we don't know whether the government is simply going to reverse something when we maybe start making a profit, then we can't really think of it as a good place to do business. And then the Supreme Court the other day annulled almost every coal mining block awarded since 1993. So you've got decisions going back 30 years that are now put into play, and the world has been told by the Supreme Court that these coal mines were illegally awarded. And again, this is not really something that inspires confidence. Now, the Modi government hopes that it can restart the whole process and say, look, we're going to start afresh, things are going to be done legally, we're going to do things without corruption, and from now on things will be better. But it's very hard to convince investors that the government structure, the regulators and the courts, which are, of course, independent of the government, are going to make life at least predictable for businesses.
I suppose these court cases are a symptom of the corruption that has held the country back in the past. Has Modi done anything? Do you think he's in a position to, to tackle it? And does he have a good team behind him? Yes, he did have a reputation when he was chief minister of Gujarat, which is a fairly industrialized and commercially minded state for tackling corruption. So the hope is that he will transfer that anti-corruption campaign, if you like, to the rest of India. Not an easy thing to do because corruption is entrenched in a lot of areas of government and a lot of areas of the bureaucracy, both at the central level and at the state level. But the signals are good in the sense that he certainly said he's going to do that. The courts continue to wade through cases in some instances of more than a decade old of corruption. For example, the chief minister of the state of Tamil Nadu was jailed the other day for a case that arose 18 years ago of corruption. So there is some hope, but it's a very slow process. It's a long process, and it will take a while before anyone can claim that uh, India is largely corruption-free. As for the skills of his team, that is a concern, I think. A lot of decision-making at the moment is centered on the prime minister's office, and there are three or four ministers who are very well respected by industry and by everyone in the country for their abilities. But then a lot of the other cabinet ministers are not seen as particularly high caliber. And indeed, they're often bypassed by the prime minister when he's getting things done. And and there's a question as to whether you can run a government for a country of 1.3 billion people without a set of very competent technocratic ministers. But for the moment, at least he has the public behind him. He has the public behind him and he has business very much behind him. They still have confidence. They're still full of hope. There's some disappointment, at least in the business community, that he didn't take more radical steps, for example, to privatize dysfunctional state companies or abolish some of the labor laws that make life difficult for business. But on the whole, people are impressed with the way that he's cleaned up the bureaucracy, made things work better. And they are expecting more decisions to come that will boost economic growth and hopefully attract investment, whether it's from America, China or Japan. Thank you very much, Victor. Thank you. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.